Hello. Uh, this is a scripture reading from the book of Jonah, chapters 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amadi. Go to the great city of Neva and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarish, where he went down to Yopa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm rose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country, and from what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, and who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? And they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And, the, and at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered the sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord God, and he said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths and into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me, and I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, and deep surrounded me, and seaweed wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, and to the earth beneath me barred me forever. But you, Lord my God, brought me life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple." Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and vomited Jonah onto dry land. Thanks, Mike. Not too often we hear two chapters of scripture in our readings, but uh, the stories go together, so we'll get there in just a second. I was thinking about this reading this week, and 
uh, thought about the irony that's involved in the scripture. So to start, have you had any unforgettable ironic moments? You know, the ones that you, you just really can't think about, can't forget about, that you're like, oh, for example, you know, hypothetically, you might have a foreign exchange student that's staying with your family, you know, when you're a young teenager, and it's about the time that Dairy Queen blizzards have just come out, so this person from halfway around the world is staying with you and cannot, cannot even fathom the fact that they would serve ice cream upside down and it would not fall out. So you have to try and convince this person that, no, this is actually the case, that they will serve this, this treat upside down. There's no ice cream falls out, and then you get it, and then you can enjoy it. And so after some several heated uh, discussions, we might have, I mean, this, you know, you might have stopped at one particular Dairy Queen, where it just happens to be that on all days of days, they do not actually turn the blizzard over. So you need to take it upon yourself to demonstrate such sad truth. As the very nice Dairy Queen worker hands this young teenager the blizzard, you say, see, look, it stays in the cup, but you don't notice that there's two cups that the person put it in. So, boom, in front of everyone. And the foreign exchange student says, well, why, yes, Rob, I see that the ice cream stayed in the cup. <laughs> That's unforgettable irony. Now, as I thought about the unforgettable ironic moments in my life, the one that rings most true is one that happened uh, 10 years ago, I think this week. My family and I were halfway through an amazing week at camp when I got this phone call. It was a phone call from a pastor who had a church plant that was fairly young and had about five, maybe six staff, most of them part-time, but he was hiring a full-time associate pastor. And uh, in the interview process, they'd interviewed a lot of people, and he called to tell me that the majority of the search team said that I was the best candidate for the job. And I just had this feeling that there was a but coming, and he said, but... Uh, I don't, and I get more than one vote. And as he continued to tell me the reasons or where they came to, he said, I think we're too much alike. Maybe you should just go start a church. Now, what he didn't know was that six months before that, my wife and I had received a yes, not only do we think you could and, and have the ability to, start a church or start churches, but we actually think that God wants you to start churches. So we're giving you a yes. And three months after that, three months before this moment, my wife had come to me and said, okay, I've talked to God. I'm ready to start a church with you. And that's when I decided that I should go in the opposite direction. So as I get off the phone with this person who had no idea of these conversations, it was absolutely clear to me that his words told me God knew exactly where I was and that I knew exactly what God wanted me to do. That's unforgettable irony. So how about you? Moments in your life where you have heard from God or you think you've heard from God and instead you decide to go in the opposite direction.
what causes us to hear God's word, which has to be an amazing experience, and then run from him. See, we read the book of Jonah today, and Jonah could really be the unprofit, because everything he does, at least in this story, is pretty much the opposite of what God is asking him to do. There's only one prophetic statement in the book. It's much more centered around Jonah's life, and yet the story is all about way, way more than Jonah. It's centered around these movements. Jonah, the first movement is Jonah hears the word of God to get up and go east by land, and instead Jonah doesn't ignore God. He actually goes west by sea. I think we even have a map of where he's going. Now, why would Jonah do this? I think Jonah knew God. He presumably loved God. And he was a prophet for God. And a prophet is someone who brings a message from God. And so he's already done that. In 2 Kings 14, we see that Jonah had become a prophet during the 41-year reign of King Jeroboam II, or King Jeroboam II of Israel. He was the longest ruling ruler, or king of Israel. Israel. Now, history would say he was the most successful. God judges his standards differently and does not say that he was successful. But at that time, you were a good king if you formed the right alliances and secured your borders. And the word of the Lord, according to 2 Kings 14, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and it was a word to extend the boundaries of Israel. And so that's what King Jeroboam did. He extended the boundaries of Israel to Labo-Hameth, to the Dead Sea, in accordance with the word of the Lord. And what you need to know about Labo-Hameth is it's the northernmost city in Israel. In other words, Israel has now expanded its borders so that the only time in history that it was bigger than it is now is when it was united with Judah under the great kings of David and Solomon. I mean, if I'm looking for things to put on my wall of accomplishments, Israel being as biggest, the company I run is the biggest. It's got the most employees. It's it's made the most money. It's the same kind of idea. That word of the Lord, Jonah got to bring, and he didn't run from that word of the Lord. Maybe because when God asks us to do something exciting, or something that will be popular, or something that somebody will put on a plaque someday, we say yes. Or at least I do. Now, what you also need to know about this map is it's the best of times and the worst of times for Israel. It's the best of times because Israel was in a successful economy. There was booming trade all across the Mediterranean. And so Israel is at its largest point. Its economy is great. And... The relative world powers are not converging at this moment on this bridge of the world. So that's the good stuff. The bad stuff is that Israel has a weak and fluctuating identity. As an identity as God's special people. The ones that are blessed by God to bless the world. They don't know who they are. They're not remembering who they are. And they're growing up, or at least Jonah is growing up, hearing about this terrible, you can put that map up, this terrible warmongering nation called Assyria, 
It's this nation to the north and the east, and it's slowly growing in size, in power, and in terror. And Nineveh is the most important city and soon-to-be capital. There's anywhere from 100 to 200,000 people that live in Nineveh. And what you need to know is between the words Israel and Assyria, there's a giant desert. So you've got to go up and over through the mountains. But this nation is continuing to conquer. It's at a time where transportation is a tad difficult. So this takes many, many, many years, even decades to happen. But it's happening. If you're as old or older than me, then you remember the Cold War years. The years where people talked about building concrete basement bunkers and the threat of nuclear terror. It's a little bit like that. This nation is coming. So maybe Jonah runs because it's Nineveh. Because it's not exciting and it's not popular. In fact, the people that Jonah hangs out with hate Nineveh. It's actually culturally acceptable to hate Nineveh. Maybe Jonah hates Nineveh. In fact, we'll see next week, in the end of the book, he says, that's why I didn't want to go. Because I know that you have compassion for these people that he, I think, hates. But that was a long time ago. So I wonder what our Nineveh is. Like, is your Nineveh a place? Or is your Nineveh a people? Like, maybe your Nineveh is friends that if you told them what you really believe about God or about faith or about the Bible, you think they'd reject you, so you never talk to them about it. Or maybe your Nineveh is the teammates and friends and coworkers who make fun of other people for certain things, but, and you go along with it, but you'd never do that in private. Or maybe your Nineveh is just a whole group of people that you automatically assume are never going to be interested in God. So maybe he runs because it's Nineveh. But maybe he runs because who wants to face their warmongering enemies and give them a message of repentance and restoration? That's hard. And Jonah just doesn't simply ignore God. He goes completely the other way. He sails towards this place called Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is interesting because it's literally the farthest known destination in their world. It's like this edge of the world place. Eugene Peterson, author and pastor, has this interesting twist on Nineveh. He said it's the only place that Jonah thinks he can run. It's not only the place where Jonah thinks he can run away from God, but it's this adventurous, exotic, end-of-the-world destination. I've never been there, so I have to mentally escape and imagine it. It's this place of fantasy and escape. I think our world knows a thing or two about escape. Maybe it's binging on Netflix, or maybe it's You've got work or homework to do, and instead you want to pull out an app on a smartphone or on the computer and just spend endless hours doing that instead of doing this other thing that you'd really not want to deal with. 
It might be food for you. It could be sex or certain things about sex. It could be exercise or the accession of exercise. I even think there's some people here who might use work to escape the realities of their relationships. This happened to uh, a friend of a friend. Uh, This friend is in really stressful, people-oriented work. It's the kind of work that's easy to not only get stressed out about, but to just overwork yourself and spend all this time in. On top of that kind of work, his wife had been battling some health issues, and so instead of being helpful and supportive to her, he avoided her by doing more work. Add to that a co-worker who is female who lent her supportive ear and a listening ear, a supportive shoulder once in a while. And what started out as relief quickly became escape, which then became fantasy, which then became adultery. So their escape to Tarshish left this wake of betrayal and brokenness as two families now struggle to adjust to new realities. That's Tarshish. In a time where we can Google on any map and find virtually any place, there are still places that we want to mentally escape to. And I don't think that the stories in Tarshish need to be our stories. I don't think Jonah's story needs to be our story. These mistakes don't just happen. It's not like Jonah got up one day, heard the word of the Lord, and said, I'm going to totally disobey. There are four movements that Jonah makes. The second movement that I see in the text is not just that Jonah hears the word and runs. It's the four mini movements that he makes in his running. Look at verse 3. It says, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Yapa, where he found a ship bound for that port after paying a fare, which would not be a cheap ticket to go all the way across the Mediterranean. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish from the Lord. Now, went down and went aboard are actually the same word in Hebrew. It's yarad, if you want to know it. Yarad. He yaradded down to Yapa. He yaradded to the port. In other words, he could have stopped in that coastal town and went, hmm, God told me to go that way, and instead I'm going this way. I wonder why I'm going this way. I wonder if there's any churches, any friends, any counselors in town that I could go talk to. I wonder if there's some moments of of stopping that I could take here and really think about what I'm doing, but he didn't. Instead, in verse 5, we read, after Jonah had gone down and gotten on that ship, then he went down below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Again, this word yarad, below deck, and yarad, to a deep sleep. Maybe he took an ambient or something, but he made the choice not to stay on top of the boat because all the crew is not Jewish. Jonah, as a Jew, would want to hang out with his Jewish friends, even though he'd been told to bring a message of repentance and restoration to a non-Jewish people. He goes below deck because sometimes when we're ignoring God and running from God, we don't want to talk to anyone. Even below deck will be a place where we can be isolated. And instead of praying or reflecting, he just sleeps. Four times, he rats from the Lord. 
And the text wants to make sure we get this by emphasizing that he ran away from the Lord. He heard the word of the Lord. And, and away from the Lord is also interesting because it says away from the face or the presence of God. The panah of God is the face of God. Think about how you interact with people and how you can tell, like, you look nice today. You look nice today. You look nice today. Three different facial expressions will give three different answers. You laugh with your face. You cry with your face. You turn your face away from people when you don't really want to reveal what you're feeling. The face is where we first learn what love and acceptance is. A baby can see eight inches when it's born. It's the first place we learn acceptance. It's also the first place we learn rejection. Jonah runs from the face of God. And I kind of see this like baseball. And not just baseball. Peter says it first when he says to the, Jesus, the Lord, how many times should I forgive? Up to three times? You know, in baseball, it's three strikes and you're out and three outs and the inning's over. And, you know, here there's this moment of like one, two, three. Maybe there's a chance to turn. I mean, Jesus rose from the dead in three days. Jonah's going to be in this whale for three days. Abraham figures out what God is doing with his son in three days. Maybe there's something about three, but four, you've made your choice. Jonah leaves. Jonah goes down. Jonah gets on the boat. Jonah goes to sleep. Like, game over. And see, the third movement is absolutely my favorite. Because after Jonah does all that, The third movement is how God responds to this runaway unprofit. In the middle of Jonah's running away, God sends a storm to wake him up. It says in the text, the storm is from the Lord. The Lord sent a great storm, a great wind on the sea, a violent storm, it threatened to break up the ship. In the midst of this storm, it had seasoned sailors screaming and crying out to any god, anything that they think would give them power or significance, and then dumping their futures, or at least their financial future. They were a cargo ship that was bringing cargo. If they dump the cargo, they don't have anything to bring. There's no way of getting paid. They're giving up their jobs. They're potentially giving up their future jobs by dumping this stuff. They are desperate That's how great the storm is. That's the kind of storm that Jonah is sleeping through. It's sort of like Jonah doesn't even care if the sailors could lose their lives. Jewish commentators think there's well over 100 people on the ship. And most, if not all of them, do not know the one true God, the one that can give them salvation, and they will die eternally separated from that God. And Jonah is sleeping. I was talking to somebody this week who was, who was saying that she was having a really, really hard time sleeping this week. And when I asked why, she said, I kept thinking about those boys in Thailand and their soccer coach trapped in that cave. And so I prayed for them every time I couldn't sleep. 
And I thought to myself, yeah, I've thought about those boys too. And I've prayed for them a couple times, and I'm really happy that they're rescued and that they're okay. But I didn't lose sleep over it. I think the thing that I love about this third movement, that God responds to Jonah in this way, is because I'm Jonah. I think you might be Jonah. There might be times that you choose to sleep instead of choosing to deal with something or love someone. God might tell you to do something and you decide, "Mm, I don't think I want to. I know that I have. And see, here's the reality of God's response. When Jonah's running away, God doesn't run away. God doesn't run away from runaways. God responds. He, He sends a storm to wake him up. And when the storm doesn't wake him up, then he sends the captain and the sailors to wake him up. Look at what the captain does. The captain says, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of you and we will not perish. Look at verse 3. It's the same words that God said to him. The captain of the ship has now become the messenger of God. The captain of the ship has become the prophet that Jonah is supposed to be. And I don't say that to shame Jonah. I just say that to say, that's how good God is. And when the the ship's captain doesn't really get their response. Then the sailors step in, and the sailors cast lots to find out who's responsible. Then they show up with Jonah, and they start to reason with him. What do the sailors do? Anybody know? Well, when I read the text, it looks like the sailors ask questions. They ask four questions. After they figure out who's responsible... They ask four questions. What kind of work do you do? What are you called to do? Do you know where you come from or who you come from? What is your country? What people are you from? Huh. Jonah goes down to Yapa, then goes down to the ship, then goes down to the below deck, then goes down into a sleep, and I think he is totally gone. But God loves him so much that he not only sends a storm to wake him up, which doesn't work, so then he sends a captain to wake him up and a sailors to wake him up and the sailors to give him four questions to wake him up. Think about it. What kind of work are you in? Oh, I'm a messenger of God. He's told me, and, and he, we see in the text that he's told the sailors that he's running from God. I'm a messenger of God. He's given me a message. I don't quite know what it is, but I know that my name, Jonah, means dove. And I know that In the story of God, the first time God sends a dove is in the flood to bring an olive branch that is still to this day an international symbol of peace. So I know that my work might have something to do with bringing peace to people. And even though I don't know what the message is, I'm learning who I am. And I'm peace. Huh. I'm being asked to do something that God has already created me to do. And my father's name, Amnitai, means truth. So I come from truth. Oh, and the people, my country is Israel. And Israel means one who struggles with God and and people, but is still able, is overcome. So I... I'm an overcomer. 
oh, and the people I'm from are called Hebrews. Hebrews are ones who cross over, like Abraham crossed over from Ur to the promised land, from death to life. I'm a people that crosses over. Oh, God is calling me to cross over. Four questions to wake him up. That the answers of which give him the clues and the keys to go forth. That's how much God loves Jonah. Because God doesn't run away from runaways. And Jonah still doesn't wake up. So God sends a fish. That we always see as Jonah committing suicide and the fish swallowing up, and we couldn't possibly believe this story. Well, whether Jonah lived or died in that fish, it was a tomb that Jesus mentions and says, like Jonah, in the belly of that fish, coming forth, I will come forth. I believe God would stop at nothing to rescue Jonah. Because he doesn't run away from runaways. And that's when Jonah finally wakes up in the belly of the fish. Jonah prays to God. He acknowledges his grace. Mike read it. He offers this sacrifice of song of thanks, promises to fulfill the law. In Jonah 2, 9, it says, What I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. That's what I'll say. But here's the most amazing thing. I mean, I think that's pretty amazing. And maybe you need to hear that today. That you've been running from God. You think there's no possible way. I've, I burned all my chances. Jonah receives the Lord. He is found. But not only that, Jonah never prays for the sailors. Jonah never gives them a message of peace. Jonah never tells them the way to God. And guess what happens? The sailors pray to Jonah's God. The sailors offer sacrifices to Jonah's God. And the soldiers make vows to Jonah's God. Jonah wasn't even trying to be a message of peace. And he was a message of peace. Even when we think it's all up to us and we can't possibly bring it, if we just realize who God has created each and every one of us to be, I think he'll still work. So maybe God is asking you something that you're like, whoa, that is big. Would you stop and hear God? Maybe it means looking to see if there's two cups before you turn the blizzard over. But maybe it's saying yes to that thing that scares you to death. But you know God is asking you to do it. He will absolutely be there. And like Jonah, he created him for this. There are people in our lives that might never come to church, might never open a Bible, but you're the church and I'm the church. And you're his word, and I'm his word. And we can be his word. Would you pray with me?
God, I thank you that you do not run away from runaways, and I confess that I'm a runaway. God, I confess that I'm like Jonah. That there are people or times in my life where I've just said, mm, no, no thanks, God. I thank you for this story and for this unprofit that you just continue to respond with your truth, with your love, with your grace, with your power and your sovereignty. I thank you that, God, you not only saved Jonah, but you saved the sailors. God, and if you'd respond with that much grace to people who don't know you, I believe you'll respond with that much grace to the people who do know you or want to know you, who do love you or want to love you. God, that you smile even at the desire to obey you, even if people can't obey you or don't obey you. I pray you would so work in our lives, God, that that we would step into those places that scare us, those people that, that we'd rather not see. And that we would hear your words of affirmation and your words of creation in us, God. Tell us who we are. And who you call us to be. And for those, God, who are just discovering for the first time how much you love and the lengths that you'll go to, I pray that that they would say yes to you, that they would receive your love, that salvation is from the Lord, that when we say yes to you, when we say you, you will make the way, it's not in my strength, but in your strength, God. You show us through the most ultimate amazing example in Christ, the one who conquered death and was raised to life, even more than Jonah, God. We find our strength and our salvation in Jesus. So speak to us, God. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with us if you're able.